So you have somebody that has um, lung cancer. And the reason that they have lung cancer, we find out, is because they've been smoking for 10 years. And then when we go back a little bit more, we find out that the reason that they ever started smoking in the first place is because they were being bullied at school and all of the cool kids were smoking. And so they took up smoking in order to fit in with the cool kids. And then further along the line, that taking up smoking caused them to get lung cancer. Now, if that person with lung cancer went to the doctor, the doctor wouldn't say to them, all right, so the way that we're going to treat this cancer is we're going to go back and we're going to talk about those kids at school that made you start smoking. You are listening to the Eating Disorders Recovery Podcast with me, Tabitha Farrar. Hello. So, today I'm going to try and explain a little bit the difference between treating a trigger of an eating disorder and treating the actual eating disorder. I wanted to do a separate little podcast on this because I think it's something that's quite confusing and... I um, know quite a few adult sufferers that sort of struggle to differentiate these things in their mind. And it's one thing for um, child sufferers or teenage sufferers that have a parent or somebody else, a guy that is guiding them through recovery and is able to just tell them, hey, you can't, don't think about this stuff, you're just going to eat. It's it's harder for us adult sufferers. We tend to want to know the reasons why things we we tend to try to want to work things out and so it can be really difficult just to get your head around the fact this is a mental illness this I'm not doing these things for any other reason than it's a mental illness and it's especially difficult because the eating disorder tries to tell you that you are doing them for a reason so you know it's very hard to see that those thoughts that even the thoughts in your head which is the eating disorder telling you you're not eating because of X, Y, Z. And then you've actually got someone else like me telling you, no, the only reason that you're not eating is because you have mental illness. So you just have to eat and ignore the thoughts in your head that are telling you otherwise. So we're going to have a little bit of a look at that. And forgive me if I use quite a few different examples and, and to try and explain this and repeat myself a few times, which I may do. Right, so let's, let's use the example of a person who um, they have an eating disorder and that eating disorder started when they went on a diet um, when they were, you know, in college or something. And the reason that they went on a diet was because somebody said something horrible to them about, oh, you know, your thighs look big or maybe they were picked on a little bit and they wanted to fit in more. So they thought, I'm going to, you know, it seems fashionable all the you know, all the skinny girls are in style, I'm going to go on a diet and, and, you know, people will accept me more. So they go on what I saw the person in inverted commas as a harmless diet. (laughs) But because this person has the genetic predisposition to have an eating disorder, that harmless diet, which what effectively happens when one goes on a diet is there's a calorie deficit, there's an energy deficit. And what the energy deficit does for someone with a predisposition for an eating disorder is it it activates the eating disorder that's in their brain. And so for me, it wasn't even a a diet because I wanted to look good or anything. It was a diet because I wanted to be, um, um, I wanted my weight to be low enough to ride a certain horse. But anyway, I go into that into detail in my book. But that's just an example of why a person might go on a diet for reasons other than having low self-esteem or um, negative body image. 
So anyway, said person's gone on a diet, triggers an eating disorder, and now they're battling an eating disorder. The eating, the diet stopped when the eating disorder started. That's no longer a diet. That behavior is no longer a diet. They are no longer um, in control of saying I'm regulating the amount of food that I'm taking in or not. That's not a diet anymore. It, it's gone from diet into mental illness. And the thing that triggered the diet may have been being bullied in college, but that trigger there... Treating that trigger is not going to help treat the mental illness, which is the eating disorder. So that's where those two things have to be separated. So, for example, you could go to a a sort of therapist that's got a psychoanalytical approach to things and you could go into their office and, you know, it's very obvious that you are underweight and you have an eating disorder. And the psychoanalytical approach to that would be to say, so why did you start, you know, not eating? Your honest answer to that would be, oh, well, you know, someone was horrible to me at school. And so that's why I thought I'd go on a diet. And then what the psychoanalyst will do was they'll say, oh, so the reason that you're starving yourself is because this person was mean to you. And we need to spend the next two years talking about that person that was mean to you and you telling me all the things about that. What a therapist um, who uses evidence-based treatment for eating disorders, such as family-based therapy and like approaches will say to a person that comes into that office that's really awful that that person was horrible to you and you felt the need to go on a diet but we have an eating disorder to treat now so we're going to treat the eating disorder and the medicine for treating an eating disorder is food now further complication when you're an adult sufferer is you might go to two therapists and one of them might be a psychoanalyst and the other one might be evidence-based treatment now if you Take into account that what eating food for somebody with an eating disorder feels like is jumping off a cliff. You've got one therapist that's saying, oh, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to, you're going to come here once a week and we're going to talk about things. And we're going to talk about that person that was mean to you. You've got another therapist that's saying, what we're going to do is you're going to come here and I'm going to make you jump off the cliff. Now, which one are you going to choose? You're going to choose the easy option, Right. I'm going to tell you, you don't choose the easy option. You choose the option that's going to get you better. And in this case, it involves jumping off a cliff, i.e. eating. But the eating disorder is not going to let you do that. And so the eating disorder will, because it's in your brain, it's the trickiest thing. It's in your brain. It knows your thoughts and it knows which thoughts to use against you. So the eating disorder is going to pull up a load of thoughts and fire those thoughts at you, which are saying, yes, the reason that you're doing this is because that person bullied you at school and you need to work through that and let's talk about that. That's what the eating disorder is going to tell you or something like that. And that's the reason that a lot of adult sufferers, when they're giving the choice of types of therapists, they're going to go down that psychoanalytical route and they're going to go. And what is happening there is you are talking about the trigger. You're not talking about the mental illness. You're not treating the mental illness. Now, am I saying that the trigger is completely irrelevant and shouldn't be talked about or treated at all? Absolutely not. You know what? It, it's it's something that was traumatic for you. It's something that affected your life. You should absolutely talk about that. You should absolutely go to therapy about that after you've got weight restored. You do that afterwards. A couple of reasons. First of all, weight restoration is your priority because you need to get your body healthy again. And the second reason is that when your body is healthy again, your brain actually is, is better at sort of sorting through these things. And you're going to get more out of those talk therapy sessions when your brain's in order and your body's in order as well. 
So I'm absolutely not saying that the trigger is important. I'm just saying what's more important when you are underweight is getting weight restored pretty damn quick. So let's look at this. um, I'll give you another example. Not about eating disorders. I love um, using cancer as an example, you know, because cancer is it's it's an illness but it's one that we sort of don't consider to be, this person's not doing cancer to themselves. They're not making their cells duplicate on purpose. Well, my argument is that a person with an eating disorder is not doing the eating disorder to themselves either. They have a mental illness. They're not doing anything. But So you have somebody that has um, lung cancer. And the reason that they have lung cancer, we find out, is because they've been smoking for 10 years. And then when we go back a little bit more, we find out that the reason that they ever started smoking in the first place is because they were being bullied at school and all of the cool kids were smoking. And so they took up smoking in order to fit in with the cool kids. And then further along the line, that taking up smoking caused them to get lung cancer. Now, if that person with lung cancer went to the doctor, the doctor wouldn't say to them, all right, so the way that we're going to treat this cancer is we're going to go back and we're going to talk about those kids at school that made you start smoking. That's what we're going to do. We're going to spend years talking about that. You're going to get out all the emotion that you ever had about those kids at school that made you start smoking. And then once you've done that, once all that negative emotion is out, the cancer will go away. And you'd be like, yeah, whatever. No, what your doctor is going to say is they're going to say, we need to treat the cancer that's here right now, the cancer that's the problem right now, and the cancer that is going to get worse and kill you. And that's what I'm saying with you need to treat the eating disorder. You need to treat the eating disorder that is here right now and the eating disorder that is going to get worse and potentially kill you, because they can do. And so... Even in the cancer example, I'm not saying that it's not important that that person should go back at some point and maybe process any emotion that they have around those bullies at school. Of course they should. But what I'm saying is that they should treat the cancer first. They should get their body and their mind healthy first. And that is why I think it's important to separate the triggers from the eating disorder, which is a mental illness. And that's also why I think psychoanalytical approaches to eating disorders are particularly troublesome and that they can actually waste a person's time and in doing so that a person has effectively got sicker the eating disorder has had a much longer time to get entrenched in their brain and then it becomes harder to treat um, as they go on and I know that a lot of you are adults and you'll be listening to this and you'll be kind of thinking, well, that does sort of make sense. But then there'll be a niggling part that's like, yeah, but, you know, I actually really feel that I do these things because, you know, like I'm processing emotion. I'm doing these things for whatever reason. We always seem to want to have a reason, especially with the exercise component. You know, I get that a lot. I always tell people you can't exercise. There's no cardio, especially when you're recovering from an eating disorder. And they say, oh, you know, but doing the exercise makes me less stressed and I need to for my own health. And there's always reasons, there's always excuses. And, um, you know, we especially do that when when we're sort of trying to, oh, you know, I was traumatized as a child about this. I've got all these negative emotions about this. I feel that I need to work through this in order to give me the strength to work through my eating disorder or I feel that I never fully recover because I'm always scared of putting on weight because I hear those voices of those bullies in my head and it makes me want to 
you know, go on a diet again and think that I couldn't put on weight. Those are all really actually, if you think about it logically, that's a logical excuse. I can see why a psychoanalyst loves that sort of thing because you can kind of argue for it until you see a child with an eating disorder. Um, so I knew an eight-year-old boy once, uh, serious eating disorder, and he was doing all of the things that I did when I had an eating disorder. He was fidgety, he couldn't sit down, he always wanted to be on the move, he certainly didn't want to eat. And so when you see an eight-year-old child that doesn't even, has never thought of a diet in his life, and he certainly hasn't thought about going on a diet so that he can look better, um, but all of the symptoms are there and all the same, that really demonstrates how this is a disease, this is a mental illness, this is not actually something that I am doing for any reason other than it's a mental illness. I mean, we can recreate eating disorders in laboratory rats. That lab rat doesn't know about whoever was on the latest diet. That I doubt that lab rat, rat has been being teased by his friends for being overweight. I mean, he might be. I don't know what rats talk about. I don't speak rat language, but you know what I mean. We can recreate these mental illnesses in the laboratory. And so I think that that's important to remember. I think that um, your understanding um, child examples of eating disorders, as horrific as it is, is something that very much helped me understand my own and understand it as a mental illness and something that just needed treating separately from any emotion that I might be feeling in my life or... Um, in my past and so I, I do hope that helps you understand the difference there between the the trigger and the actual eating disorder and why it's important to treat the eating disorder with evidence-based therapy which involves eating it involves getting weight restored and then looking at the triggers after weight restoration and looking to treat them after weight restoration but always putting weight restoration as the priority so yeah, um, that was a, actually a question that I had from someone, and I love that, and I might start doing this more often, actually sort of giving recorded audio answers to questions, because some of this stuff is just, you know, it's messy. Eating disorders aren't easy to really explain. It's not a black and white answer, and it's all, um, it is emotion intertwined with behavior, intertwined with mental illness, and it's all being thrown at you at once. So they are messy, and it's very difficult to sometimes give a written answer to these things. So um, do reach out to me if you have any questions that you would like me to, ex me to explain in this manner. And remember, I'm not a professional. I'm just someone that's lived through this um, and worked in advocacy and with people with eating disorders now for a really long time. Um, so that's all for now. Cheers. And until next time, cheerio.